Logistics is indispensable. It is the essential backbone of a functioning global economy. This has been proven especially during the corona crisis. We need logistics. This is a fact. But it must become climate friendly and this is also a fact. This is Mitra Kurban, the director for public policy and EU affairs at the Brussels office of Deutsche Post DHL. And this is On the Move a podcast series by the Transport Area of the Florence School of Regulation on the European Green Deal and its implications for the transport sector. I am Teodora Serafimova, and in this series I will be speaking to a number of mobility experts to discuss decarbonization and digitalization among other key issues on the EU transport policy agenda. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Mitra Kurban, who is the Director for Public Policy and EU Affairs at the Brussels office of Deutsche Post DHL, the world's largest logistics company. Mitra joined DPDHL in 2011, where she has extensively dealt with transport, logistics and environmental policy issues. Prior to that, Mitra spent four years as senior political advisor at the German parliament. And more recently, she took part in our eight Florence Intermodal Forum, where we discussed the greening of European cargo operations. Since then, of course, a number of important developments have taken place on the EU arena, notably the release of the Commission's Fit for 55 package. And uh, during today's episode, we'll touch upon some of these new initiatives comprised within this package, and more generally, learn about the challenges and opportunities to reducing the climate and environmental impacts of cargo operations. So Mitra, welcome and thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Teodora. DPDHL Group recently announced plans to accelerate the pace of its decarbonization to achieve climate neutral logistics by the year 2030. To start with, could you share a couple of words about your decarbonization strategy in particular outlining what motivated this decision and the concrete measures that your company is adopting to reduce the footprint of its operations in line with the European Green Deal objectives. First of all, let me express also my gratitude on my side and inviting me and giving me the floor today and the voice to speak on behalf of Deutsche Post DHL and our decarbonization path. So coming back to your question, indeed, um, just recently, we as Deutsche Post DHL Group have unveiled our new sustainability roadmap. It is actually a detailed action plan on how we will drive forward our goal of climate neutral logistics in the next 10 years. So as the world's largest logistics company, as you said yourself, it is our responsibility to lead the way and guide the logistics industry into a more sustainable future. To this end, our roadmap focuses on three goals. Clean operations for climate protections, great company to work for all, and highly trusted company. So these are our three ESG pillars. So we are stepping up the pace to decarbonize. That means clean our operations by setting ourselves ambitious new interim targets and investing a total of 7 billion euros to reduce our CO2 emissions by 2030 and ultimately eliminate them altogether. For example, at least 30% of fuel requirements in air freight and long distance transport are to be covered by sustainable fuels by 2030. Similarly, over the next decade, 60% of our global last mile delivery fleet will be electric. That's more than 80,000 e-vehicles in total. 
So with these ambitious but realistic approaches, we are continuing our path towards zero emission logistics operation in 2050. As an interim goal, we have set ourselves an ambition CO2 reduction target that we will submit to the science-based target initiative for validation. We are committed to reducing the group's annual CO2 emissions to below 29 million tons by 2030. By comparison, our CO2 emissions in 2020 were 33 million tons. Given the expected growth though, in logistics, this would amount to 46 million tons by 2030 without further measures. So in our sustainability roadmap, we thus focus our efforts on reducing actual logistics related emissions rather than offsetting them by purchasing CO2 certificates. For us, this is the only way to achieve the goals of the Paris Climate Agreement. So against this background, we welcome the EU Green Deal objective and the Fit for 55 package. It is, in our view, a big step in the right direction, notably with respect to advancing carbon pricing and promoting renewable energies, sustainable alternative fuels, as well as sustainable mobility and energy efficiency. We hope it will deliver the necessary and crucial legislative framework that boosts innovation and enables ambitious companies like ours, Deutsche Post DHL Group, to achieve their targets while helping the transport and logistics sector overall to decarbonize. I mean, one must not forget the transport sector is responsible for around 16% of the global greenhouse gas emissions. At the same time, logistics is indispensable. It is the essential backbone of a functioning global economy. This has been proven, especially during the corona crisis. We need logistics. This is a fact, but it must become climate friendly. And this is also a fact. So we believe that the transition to a green economy will create more jobs and bring further economic progress. These two go hand in hand. However, to accelerate the transition to a climate neutral world, all players must work together. Policymakers need first to set a reliable framework so that these investments actually pay off. And I mean economically and ecologically. And secondly, they need to bring all players involved to the table within the EU, but also beyond. Thank you very much for, uh, for this really comprehensive overview. Um, and I actually have a follow-up question, which relates to, to the fact that a significant portion of uh, logistics operations, they are being outsourced to third-party providers. And this is something that uh, applies to DP, DHL as well. How do you ensure that these outsourced operations meet minimal environmental quality standards? Thank you, Theodora, for such an important question. It is very crucial to talk about it and to talk about outsourced operations. So Deutsche Post DHL Group has ingrained sustainability into the company's strategy 2025 vision as the group strives to be the employer, provider, and investment of choice, but in a sustainable way. The group is fully aware that its responsibility to ensure sustainable behavior extends to its supplier base. Thus, we have given ourselves a strict set of ethical standards to guide us in our business practices. We expect all our suppliers, including subcontractors, meaning all companies who do business with any company or division of Deutsche Post DHL Group to adhere to the same ethical standards. For this purpose, this group has produced a supplier code of conduct, which sets the minimum standards for doing business with any group company or business unit. 
So with regard to environment, we expect the supplier to comply with all applicable environmental laws and regulation, as well as standards, and to implement an effective system to identify and eliminate potential hazards to the environment. Further, we also expect our suppliers to strive to support DPDHL Group's environmental and climate protection commitments through the products and services they deliver, which should be done efficiently by taking the environmental impact into consideration. So Deutsche Post DHL Group also expects its suppliers to report relevant data on environmental and climate protection upon request. Last but not least, we expect our suppliers to take environmental and climate protection appropriately into account in their own operations. For example, by setting climate protection goals for themselves and achieving them. So given the fact that 80% of overall CO2 emissions from road are produced by subcontracted transport activities, the green subcontractor management is indeed very relevant for us. Therefore, we have initiated the so-called Green Carrier Certification Program. In practice, we have started to include environmental and CO2 reporting as mandatory part of our transport tenders this year. In addition, together with our truck and fuel partners, we designed alternative truck and fuel offers at incentivized rates that transport partners can access through our DPDHL partner store. We also invite carriers to webinars and workshops on green transport solutions in order to provide guidance for the right decarbonization path and to understand barriers in order to work out solutions together. Thanks very much, Mitra, for uh, sharing all of these very interesting initiatives uh, on uh, CO2 and environmental reporting. It uh, is quite clear that um, uh, DPDHL is uh, quite active in this regard. And uh, building on this, as you recall, one of the topics we discussed at our eight uh, Florence Intermodal Forum last summer was the, the creation of a common framework for the harmonized measurement of transport and logistics related greenhouse gas emissions. And this is one of the commission's ongoing initiatives that aims to enable consumers and businesses to make more sustainable delivery and transport choices. So what sort of environmental information could businesses and end users be provided with? And how can we ensure that greenhouse gas indicators truly boost demand for more sustainable transport and delivery solutions and put an end to greenwashing? And uh, drawing on all the experiences that you were uh, mentioning earlier at DPDHL, what are some of the main challenges in establishing such a framework? Thank you, Theodora. So these are three questions in one. Let me start with the first one. So what sort of environmental information should businesses and end users be provided with? So for end users, it will probably be sufficient to know the overall carbon intensity of their product. For example, how much carbon was produced in the logistics of moving their parcel? Businesses, on the other hand, want to use the information received from their logistics partner to actively manage and reduce their carbon footprint. Therefore, additional information such as emissions per trade lane and or per mode of transport can be very relevant to them. This kind of information enables them to select more carbon efficient routes and consider model shifts. For example, moving goods from air transport to ocean freight or from road to rail to reduce their carbon intensity in the cases where this is feasible. So 
Now, how can we ensure that um, greenhouse gas indicators truly boost demand for more sustainable transport and delivery solutions and put an end to greenwashing? So the greenhouse gas information provided in a carbon report should always reflect the emissions caused within the transport and logistics processes related to it. Of course, part of that is the inclusion of decarbonization measures taken by the logistics partner, such as Deutsche Post DHL Group. An example, if we or our transport partners already use a lot of electric vehicles and or sustainable fuels instead of fossil fuels, of course this lowers the carbon intensity of our transport services and should therefore be reflected in our carbon reports. Compensation of emission via offsetting, meaning the purchase of carbon credits, what I mentioned earlier, from climate protection projects outside the logistics sector, might be a commendable action for the global climate, but it does not help to make our own sector greener. Therefore, it should not be included at the carbon report, but be reported separately to ensure full transparency. If mixing these two up and providing very low carbon incentive values and emissions to the customer without outlining how much carbon was really produced by the transport service and how much was compensated elsewhere, companies can lose credibility and can be accused of greenwashing. So the necessary accounting rules and instructions should be covered by an accounting standard that is adopted in the best case by all companies in the logistics sector. So the next question is indeed what some of the main challenges in the establishment of such a framework are. So there are already existing voluntary accounting standards, such as the European standard EN 16258 or the Global Logistics Emissions Council framework, the GLEC framework, as we have discussed in the workshop. So luckily, these were adopted by a lot of logistics companies on a voluntary basis and built the foundation for a new global accounting standard for greenhouse gas emissions of transport services, the ISO 14083 standard. This standard is developed by experts from companies, scientists, and governmental agencies globally and due for publication in October 2020. So one major challenge in its development is to consolidate existing practices and views from all participating countries and regions that are at times conflicting and to transform them into one universal standard that everybody accepts. Of course, another challenge is that future standard will be, as all ISO standards, by the way, a voluntary document, and we can only hope that companies all over the world adopt it. Here, it would clearly help if governments and institutions like the European Commission would actively engage in the development and later promote the use of that standard in their countries and regions. So in our view, the worst case would be that every country or region comes up with their own rules and regulations in the end. This would prevent a level playing field and contradict the main intent of such a framework, ensuring transparency and comparability of transport emissions globally and across the industry. Thanks a lot for this, uh, Mitra. You, you've raised a, a number of very interesting points including the, the discussion around actual emission reductions versus, versus offsetting, which is, of course, also very relevant in the aviation sector right now. And um, speaking of this, the global volume of air cargo has increased considerably in recent years, in part driven by the increase in e-commerce and uh, further reinforced by the COVID-19 pandemic. As part of its Fit for 55 package, the Commission published the so-called Refuel EU Aviation Initiative 
which is a blending mandate for sustainable aviation fuels, meant to boost their production and uptake, uh, thereby also reducing their costs. And earlier this month, we've also seen the opening up of the world's first commercial plant in Germany for the production of uh, synthetic kerosene, also known as e-kerosene or e-fuels. In your view, what is, um, does this proposal take us in the right direction? Um, in its current form, does it suffice to scale up the production of truly zero emission sustainable aviation fuels and place the sector on a path to climate neutrality? And if not, what would you add or modify? Theodora, thanks for that question. I'm happy to talk about aviation in our sector and for DPDHL. So aviation is a vital and important part of our business. Our aircraft fleet consists of more than 280 dedicated cargo aircrafts. We serve 220 countries and territories through our global air freight network, which is operated by multiple airlines, some of which are wholly owned by the group. The combination of our own and purchase capacities allows us to respond flexibly to fluctuating demand. So the importance of aviation has been undeniably proven during the COVID-19 pandemic, when air cargo, as part of the multimodal service portfolio of logistics providers, such as DPDHL, ensured the supply of PPE, personal protective equipment, and other vital medical equipment, as well as vaccines all around the world on top of other essential goods like food. At the same time, aviation is an international business and aircraft rely heavily as of today on kerosene, which is a carbon intense fuel. I see it in our CO2 footprint of our company. Our aviation business is by far the largest source of CO2 in DPDHL, two thirds. One solution for reducing emissions in the aviation sector is sustainable aviation fuel, so-called SAF. However, these fuels are not yet available in sufficient quantities and quite expensive for this reason. So as part of our sustainability roadmap, we have laid out our ambition to become a leader in sustainable aviation. Notably, we want to drive up our SAF use up to 30% by 2030, continue our refleeting efforts and continue improving our, our operations, driving innovation also in ground handling. So to underpin these ambitions, we've already entered into two SAF purchase agreements. Our global forwarding business unit is a charter member of the United Airlines Echo Alliance. In addition, we have announced to purchase of additional freight aircraft for our global network. Already in 2018, we contracted with Boeing to purchase 14 new 777 freight aircraft as part, part of our upgrading our intercontinental fleet. Recently, we also announced the order of eight B777 freighters on top of the 2018 order. Last but not least, only in August this year, we announced the purchase of the first ever all electric cargo planes from Aviation, the so-called Alice. 12 zero-emission e-cargo aircraft will form world's first electric express network as from 2024. So against this background, and this is very important for me to say, we highly welcome the Commission's refuel EU aviation proposal, as SAF offers significant potential for reducing greenhouse gas emission in aviation. We support policy measures that trigger market development and support SAF uptake. Therefore, we have been asking for a carefully designed but ambitious blending quota for SAF, at least at EU level, if not even at global level. 
and at the same time applying high sustainability criteria. The Fit for 55 package has taken a very important step into this direction. In addition, we would like to suggest public funding for production of sites and support for OPEX costs for operators, for example, through carbon contracts for difference. Also, EU ETS revenues from aviation should be reinvested for innovation within the sector. We also need the unconditional recognition of SUF, advanced biofuels and e-fuels under the EU taxonomy plus under EU ETS and Corsia. With our ambitious goal to achieve a 30% SUF blending by 2030, we also advocate for the possibility to overachieve the SUF target by implementing the SUF mandate in a way that it aims at a sector approach for the CO2 reduction SUF deployment. Furthermore, we would support the to introduce a new framework to increase the actual use of sustainable fuel where suppliers, carriers, and forwarders can invest in sustainable fuels if the emission reduction can be accounted for in their carbon footprint. This can be realized, for example, through certificate trading for climate-friendly fuels, similar to green electricity certificates. In this way, fuels could also be booked flexibly through a book and claim system or framework in order to avoid complex fuel transports and to set broad market impulses. A clear guideline on how emission saving can be accounted on a book and basis should be included. In the end, an ideally global industry-wide system of SUF registration, allocation, accounting, and reporting would help stimulate SEF demand and support companies addressing their emissions while avoiding double counting. So we follow the Refuel EU Aviation Initiative very closely and engage with associations and alliances, notably with the WEF's Clean Skies for Tomorrow Coalition from the World Economic Forum, as well as the Fueling Flights Initiative organized by the European Climate Foundation, ECF and ICCT. Thanks very much, uh, Mitra. This has been very uh, insightful also to, to hear how um, other ongoing initiatives, namely the EUETS and the taxonomy, among others, can further um, uh, stimulate uh, the production of uh, sustainable aviation fuels and support the um, aviation sector's decarbonization. And uh, last but not least, a conversation on greening cargo operations would not be complete without addressing the role of railways, uh, with 2021 being the European Year of Rail. So what are the main stumbling blocks uh, to moving goods away from road transport onto cleaner modes like railways and boosting the share of sustainable multimodal transport solutions in Europe? And um, looking uh, to the ongoing um, revision of the Combined Transport Directive, what would you say are the sort of support measures, be they regulatory or economic, that should go uh, into its revision? Thanks, Theodora. Um, yes, I'd like to speak about the rail freight sector. So as outlined in the European Green Deal and the Sustainable Smart Mobility Strategy, the transport sector will have to make significant efforts towards decarbonization in the coming decades. The rail and inland waterway sectors, by the way, have been attributed to play a particular role through the Commission's model shift objective. So in Germany, for example, we 
gave just recently, beginning of October, the symbolic start signal for new connections through which even more DHL parcels will be conveyed by climate-friendly rail transport. This will increase the share of parcels transport by rail from two to 6%. The long-term aim is to transport around 20% of national parcel shipments by rail. From our perspective, however, certain changes are still required to achieve this, such as faster freight cars for light goods transport, the expansion of infrastructure, better rail lines, including high-speed routes, simplified processes for the construction and expansion of rail connections, and faster, more cost-effective procedures for loading from truck to train and vice versa. For certain transports, customers would have to be prepared to accept somewhat longer transit times for more climate-friendly rail conveyance. So when we released information on our sustainability roadmap, the rail transport network for parcels comprised 13 connections that nearly all operated on weekdays, weekends. When we released information on our sustainability roadmap, the rail transport network for parcel comprised 13 connections that nearly all operated on weekends. With our roadmap, we have announced plans to shift further parcel volumes to rail transport and seven further train connections have, have since been added that mostly operate on working days. This will enable the share of parcel transported by rail to be increased up to 6%. So, um, the Gross Baron Freight Terminal near Berlin alone serves destinations in the Dortmund, Mannheim, Frankfurt am Main metro areas. Parcels from the surrounding DHL parcel centers are transported by truck to the respective freight terminal where they are loaded onto the trains. From there, they make their way to the destination regions where they are once again reloaded and brought by truck to the respective parcel center. Such transport usually takes place overnight and the trains are powered by sustainably produced electricity. Heading into the pre-Christmas peak season, as you can imagine, we, Deutsche Post DHL Group and DB Cargo plan to deploy an additional 20 trains on the weekends leading up to Christmas. So up to 100,000 parcels can be transported on each train by using rail conveyance. Deutsche Post DHL already achieves carbon saving amounting to some thousand metric tons each month compared with road transport. But we also have to look at EU and global level. Seamless multimodal connections are a crucial enabler for sustainable transport networks in Europe. New markets outside the EU require infrastructural adjustments, revision of concepts by utilizing key hubs, existing and new ones, building new con connections which reflect the new realities. So continuous interconnectivity between all transport mode, regions, and the adequate infrastructure are fundamental preconditions to enable efficient and environmental friendly transport systems. Currently, the timing of network completion seems to be hampered due to capacity and equipment shortage, leading to delays and congestion at national level and in cross-border connections. So with the opening up of the new Silk Road, also new transport flows are coming up requiring the, to adjust the TNT corridors by including Eastern European countries, for example, Poland or Czech Republic. Today, the transfer for incoming trains from China, for example, in Poland, Malachewice to European trains or vice versa are bottlenecks as the transport network is not as developed as the hinterland connections from 
or two main European seaports like Rotterdam, Antwerp, or Hamburg. So beside infrastructural shortcomings, which limits the daily operations and railways, there are rail equipment shortages, which do limit the continuous increase of rail transport solutions. Malachevice is fast growing and is a key hub which requires adequate connectivity to the main European economic centers. So the CT directive, the combined transport directive, plays a crucial role here. Unfortunately, currently discourages some combined transport operation in this regards other forms of multimodal transport. The upcoming review represents an opportunity to address these existing shortcomings and set the legislative precondition to achieve the union sustainability goals through a market-driven model shift. To counteract the currently existing issues surrounding the definitions contained in the CT directive, we need clear definitions, obviously, which ensure common understanding and application throughout the EU, leaving no room for interpretation. We would support the change of the legislative instrument from a directive into a regulation. This would mean that member states establish rules in a harmonized way throughout the union. And this would avoid current problems caused by different interpretations. Also, an extension of the scope of the instrument to all multimodal transport operations in the union should be considered, provided that the longest leg of the journey is carried out via a sustainable mode of transport to support a market-driven model shift. Appropriate financial and non-financial incentives are needed to support the industry to, more, to move towards multimodal transport. And also there is a clear need to allow for mixed trains, the provision of high quality, reliable infrastructure, heavier load authorization for multimodal transport, the introduction of eco premiums and a reduction of administrative burdens and costs. Clearly quite a number of refinements would be helpful uh, to really foster a model shift towards uh, more sustainable modes like railways in Europe. And uh, this has brought us to the end of what has been a very interesting conversation on the multifaceted topic of sustainable cargo transport. You certainly left us with some very interesting food for thought and uh, we'll continue to monitor the legislative developments uh, on the various fronts that we touched upon today. And I thank you once again for, for your time and uh, we look forward to continuing our exchanges. Thank you for tuning in to On The Move. Keep an eye out on our channels for new episodes.